through the New Testament. We're going to pick up in verse 12 where we left off last week. Encourage you to pray about coming out on Thursday nights. We are in 2 Samuel. We'll be in the second half of 2 Samuel chapter 2 this coming week. Uh, oddly enough, that was the last message I taught at Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz before I stepped down as pastor up there uh, with the issues that were going on at the time. So uh, it, uh, the last time I taught it was, was the last time I taught at Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz. So we'll be looking at this coming Thursday. Pray that you come out for that. Well, let's pray and let's dig into the Word of God. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. You are indeed a great and an awesome God. We ask, Lord, now as we go to your word, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. I pray for everyone here this morning, whatever they may be going through, whether things are good or things are difficult, I pray they would know that you're a faithful God, that you never leave us nor forsake us, that no suffering is wasted, and that, Lord, our intimate relationship with you can have an impact on the world around us if we will simply surrender fully to you, Lord. So we ask, as we go to your word, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what you would say to each and every one of us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. amen. So a reminder, as we've been going through Philippians, just quickly, uh, that Paul's sitting in prison, writing a letter filled with joy. The word joy is used 19 times in this letter. And it's amazing to me because he is facing the potential of losing his life, of having his head taken from him. He's about to go before Caesar Nero, who later on would be the most tor maybe the most torturous man of Christians in all of human history. He would later take Paul's, he would have Paul killed later. Not, it's not going to happen at this time. He's going to get let out, but later he's going to have Paul put to death. So Paul's in this situation where it would be easy to moan and whine and complain and be bitter and question God and say why. And he doesn't do any of that because Paul has the proper perspective. And you know what? When we moan and we complain and when we doubt and when we are anxious and we are fearful, all of those things happen because we get our eyes off of the Lord and we get them on ourselves. Can I get an amen to that? And the reason that, you know, when they got in the boat to go over to the other side of the shore and the Lord said, get in the boat, we're going. And then the waves kicked up. All the apostles panicked because they were watching the waves instead of the Savior. Jesus was asleep in the boat. He wasn't panicking. And by the way, whatever you're going through today, God's not panicking. God's in control. Let's keep our eyes on him. Can I get an amen to that? So, Philippians. We've seen so far how to have joy. First chapter was joy in spite of your circumstances. And then last week, in the first half of the chapter, we saw joy in spite of people. Can people rob us of our joy sometimes? And can we be the people that rob other people of their joy sometimes? Can I get an amen? So now we come this week, and if you've got your outline, grab it. I'm loving this chapter. I'm loving this chapter. Boy, I'm loving this. And this is really speaking to a lot of us. It speaks to me. And I tell the message, the impact of intimate fellowship with the Lord. If you are walking in intimate fellowship with the Lord, it will not only impact you, but others around you. Can I get an amen to that? See, Christianity is not a religion where we believe in a faraway God. It's intimate fellowship with the creator of the universe. Is Jesus Christ your best friend? Do you wake up in the morning thinking about him? Do you spend your day with him? Or does he get an hour a week? An hour every other week, if there's a good football game on or NASCAR or something, right? And the reality is, God needs to be the priority and the passion of our lives. Do you know that you're the priority and the passion of Jesus' life? Do you know that he came so that you might have eternal life? And so if we have intimate fellowship with the Creator, if we have intimate fellowship with Almighty God, it's going to change everything about us. So, the four things we're going to look at this morning, we may run out of time, because I've got a lot of notes usually about 40 pages on a Sunday. I got about 60 this morning, so we may not get through all of it, but that's okay. We'll pick it up next week. Here's the four things we're going to look at. When we're walking in intimate fellowship with the Lord, first of all, it impacts how we reflect Jesus to the world. See, God must do a work in us before he can do a work through us. You know, that we're justified at salvation just as if we never sinned. We're being sanctified, made more into the image of our Savior, till the day we're glorified. And when he does a work in us, he can then do a work through us, but it must begin there. It must begin in us having a relationship with the Lord. Second, not only does it impact how we reflect Jesus to the world, but it impacts the way we see death. For Christians, death has no sting. 
For Christians, we close our eyes on earth and we open them up in glory. And yes, we do grieve. And it breaks our heart when people that we love, you know, move on, pass away, right? They don't pass away. Then they're not lost. People came up to me when my dad died. Sorry for your loss. My dad's not lost. I know exactly where he is. Can I get an amen to that? I know exactly where he is. He's doing better than, than all of us. Amen? And the reality is that we have a different view of death when we walk in intimate fellowship with the Lord. We don't see it as a tragedy. We see it as a glorious graduation. Can I get an amen to that? So not only does it impact how we reflect Jesus to the world, it impacts how we see death, and then it impacts how we see our lives. It gives us an eternal perspective. We recognize that the things we go, that go through, we go through in this life are all temporary. They're all temporary. None of these things will matter in eternity, the, the temporary difficulties and trials of this life. We won't remember them in heaven. They won't be a big deal. And then finally, it impacts how we respond to illness, weakness, and difficulties in this life. Can I say this? And I want to say this with all the sensitivity in the world. There's a lot of people in this room, and most of you don't know it because most of them, if they're talking to anybody, they're talking to me. And there's a lot of people in this room that are suffering right now, that are going through great difficulty right now some are watching on live stream because they can't even be here because of health issues or whatever they may be going through there's people in this room dealing with cancer there's people in this room whose marriages are in a difficult spot there's people in this room who are struggling financially there are people in this room myself included who have kids that are struggling with drug addiction there's people in this room going through difficulty but here's what i want to say to all of us I don't want to take our difficulties lightly. I don't want to say they aren't painful because they are. But here's what I want to say. Difficulty, weakness, illness is not an excuse to sit on the sideline and do nothing for the kingdom of God. Can I get an amen to that? If anything, it ought to stir us up to do even more. Because guys, in our weakness, he is made strong. Amen? When we stay humble, broken, and desperate, that's when we're most usable for the kingdom of God and for his glory. And the enemy just wants to do anything he can to get you to sit on the sideline and do nothing. If he can't take you to hell with him, he wants to render you ineffective for heaven until you get there. He wants you to have no impact on the world around us. He wants us to walk in fear of men instead of faithfulness to God. Guys, I want you to know that God is faithful. God knows what you're going through. You're not going through it alone, and he's greater than our circumstances, and he's greater than cancer, and he's greater than drug addiction, and he's greater than marriage problems, and he's greater than our financial issues. Our God is greater. Can I get an amen to that? So let's begin there looking at the impact of intimate fellowship with the Lord, and we're first going to look at just how it, re- how it should cause us to reflect Jesus to the world. You know, the world does not understand our Savior. The world is spiritually blind. That's what the Bible tells us. I have people, I had a guy blow up on me this morning that I went to high school with on how in the world I could be a Republican and vote for Trump. How can you do that? And I said, I don't vote for men, I vote for truth. And I'm pro-life, I'm pro-America, I'm pro-Bible, I'm pro-God, I'm pro-Israel, and so I vote for the people that are all of those things. Can I get an amen to that? So I vote for it, I'm unashamed of it, and I'm going to do that. Well, Trump, he needs Jesus, but so what? So do you, bro. So I told the guy, like, so do you. And, G- and I don't vote for a man, I vote for truth. I vote for the things that are right and wrong. I believe we don't kill babies. Can I get an amen to that? We're not to do that. We're to protect babies. We don't, we're pro-Israel because God's pro-Israel. We're meeting in a synagogue. Thank you, Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? Our God's pro-Israel. God's not done with Israel. He blesses those who bless Israel. Guys, when you have intimate fellowship with the Lord, you're going to reflect Jesus to a lost and a dying world, and they're going to challenge you sometimes, but that's okay. It's an opportunity for the gospel. So let's begin there in verse 12. I'm a little fired up today. Can I get an amen to that? Can't help it. Word of God rocks, right? You get this for an hour. I get it for 40, okay? It's been tearing me up all week. Let's begin in verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, therefore, when we see therefore, we ask, what's it therefore? In light of everything in verses 1 through 11, 
In 1 through 11, in light of the example of humility and obedience as seen in Jesus Christ and the resulting glory of God the Father, we saw what Jesus said, how he humbled himself and he left heaven and he came to earth. We can never take that too lightly. Leaving heaven, here's the good news. When we get to heaven, we don't have to leave. Thank you, Lord. But Jesus left and came to earth. And in light of his humility, his obedience to the Father, how should you and I respond? It says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always, have, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. As you have always obeyed, having heeded the word of God, taught to them years earlier by the apostle Paul, Note, Jesus, again, was one who was obedient to the, to the Father. So, too, obedience should not be a bad word in the life of a Christian. Can I get an amen to that? To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. The highest form of worship is obedience. Guys, we obey God because he loves us and knows what's best for us. Can I get an amen to that? And so he said, you've been obedient. And you're being obedient to the word that was taught to you. And yes, you're facing opposition because of it. But then he says this, and this is something that people struggle with. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. They were being faithful even when Paul wasn't there, even in his absence. And guys, it's been said that reputation is who you are when everyone's watching and character is who you are when no one's watching. And we need to be people of character because even when the world's not watching, God is watching. Can I get an amen to that? And so we should be people of character. We should be people who are faithful when no one's watching. God's desire is that you and I would be men and women of godly character. After all, the only one who really matters is the one who's always watching. Years ago, I was at a stoplight. Things like this have happened to me a lot. I was at a stoplight leaving the church I pastored up in Northern California, and I was leaving, and I was there a long time afterward, and I pulled up to the stoplight, and this guy was screaming at his wife at the top of his lungs and just absolutely going off and using... I thought, man, what a... And I looked up, and it was a guy that went to my church. And he's at the light, lighting her up, and then he turns over, and here I am. I had a convertible at the time. The one Tim's driving now, my top's down, I'm right there. I didn't have to say anything. <laughs> Conviction, can I get an amen? And you know what? Our sin will surely find us out. And character is who we are when no one's watching. We should be the same people at home that we are at church. The same people at work that we are at church. The same people when we're alone and no one's watching as we are when everyone's watching. Amen. And he's encouraging them that in his absence, they're being faithful, but then he tells them to work out their own salvation. Now, sadly, many stop here, and they quote this verse out of context, and they'll teach a works-based gospel. A works-based gospel is not the gospel, because Jesus Christ paid the price in full. Amen? Last word on the cross, to Tetelestai. Paid in full. It is finished. Amen? Jesus didn't do part of the work, he did all the work. Now, the working out of our, notice it says work out your salvation. It doesn't say work for your salvation. It doesn't say work on your salvation. It's saying have the works flow out of your salvation. Does that make sense? We're saved and now good works should be evident. Good works are not the source of salvation, they're the fruit of salvation. It's not faith plus works or faith or works. It's faith that works. Can I get an amen to that? Now, how do we grow in this sanctification process? As I said, justified at salvation, being sanctified, being molded more into the image of our Savior. How do we grow in our relationship with the Lord? How does that begin? Here's the answer at the end of verse 12. With fear and trembling. Do you know what? If we as a nation feared God, we wouldn't kill babies. Can I get an amen? If we feared God, we would not use his name as a curse word. If we feared God, we would not challenge traditional marriage. If we feared God, and guys, we shouldn't be surprised when people who don't know God act like they don't know God, but people of God, we need to walk in fear and awe and reverence of Almighty God. Amen? 
And it's tragic, even in the church, even amongst Christians, I will talk to people, and the relationship with the Lord is something they do part-time. And there's areas of their life that they kind of, well, that's just this part of my life over here. And, and guys, we need to surrender our lives fully to the Lord. Every aspect of our life. And we should walk in awe and reverence of Almighty God. Most of you know my dad was a pastor. And for over 60 years before he went to heaven, he was also CEO of a company. So he worked full time and pastored a church almost my entire life. I wonder where I get it. Can I get an amen? But you know what? I had a, I had a healthy fear of my dad. I respected him. I did not want to disappoint him. I, I, I loved him. I appreciated the example he set for me. And because of that, I know God used that to mold me into the man I am today. Now, I, have a, I could be a much better man than I am. But, he, but God used my dad in my life because of my reverence and my, and my and, and to a sense of fear, right? A, a godly fear. The Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Which means if there's no fear of God, there's no wisdom. And now we know why we watch some of the things that go on in the world around us while the most unwise decisions have ever been made because there's no God in the equation anywhere. And there's no fear of God. And guys, we should live every day in awe and reverence for the Lord. My prayer is that we would wake up in the morning and Jesus is the first thing on our mind. Yes, Lord, your servant hears. And begin our day with him. And spend our day with him. And end our day with him. And make him the priority and passion of our life. And every decision we make ought to be run through the Holy Spirit filter. Can I get an amen? The words that come out of our mouth. Every action that we take should be taken with the Lord in mind. He's with us. He loves us. He's a faithful God. And again, the works that we do are not in hopes of salvation but our fruit of salvation. Again, awe and reverence and seriousness we must have for our own spiritual growth to continue. Christians should grow. Here's something that's tragic. I meet people that have been saved 30 years that aren't as spiritually mature as people that have been saved three months. Because they get the get-out-of-hell-free card, they put it in their wallet, they go live like the world, and there's no change. The Bible says, by your fruit they shall know you. And I would say this, if Monday doesn't change, Sunday doesn't count. Amen? Something should be different about us. How can we go from being spiritually dead to alive and born again and filled with the Spirit of the living God and have nothing change? I want to say if there's been no change, there's been no salvation. Can I get an amen? Alan Redpath once said, you can have a saved soul and a wasted life. Lord forbid that that would be any of us. Amen? When this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. Spiritual growth It's not the source of salvation, but the fruit of it. And true salvation is judged only by God. Again, not only by God, but by your fruit. And the the Bible says, by your fruit they shall know you. Individual spiritual growth is no laughing matter. Eternity is hanging in the balance. Again, we are to take an active role in light of all that the Lord has done for us. By the way, I want to say this. We're the most blessed Christians who've ever lived. We're the most blessed Christians who've ever lived. We have more access to the Word of God than anybody else has ever had. Can I get an amen to that? We have access to the Word of God being taught on radio. You can, you can walk around with 10,000 messages in your phone. Can I get an amen? We have more access to the truth, more access to the Word of God, more access to worship, more access to Bible studies. And, we, and living in this country, at least up, up until now, we have freedom for all of that. And the sad part is, some people have 15 Bibles in their home and they open none of them. They have access to the Word of God and they never read it. We binge on Netflix and the Bible collects dust. And guys, we need to read the book, don't wait for the movie, amen? We need to open up the Word of God and spend time in His presence and seek His face because to know Him better is to love Him more. The veil's been torn. We can enter into His presence. We can pray anywhere and anytime. You know, the, the first century apostles, they didn't have the Bible. They had the Old Testament. The early Christians, if you wanted to read something out of the Bible, you had to go to the synagogue and open up a scroll and page down through this huge scroll and read a sentence. Guys, we, in your lap is a completed revelation, the whole word of God. Guys, we know the end. God wins. Yay, God. Amen? 
We know what's coming. And we're seeing it happening in the Middle East right now. As everybody's coming against Israel. And the Word of God says so. Guys, we're the most blessed of all people. But you know what? Remember when they got saved, he said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and the word power there is dunamis. We get the word dynamite or dynamic. And guys, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. The Old Testament saints were given the Holy Spirit for a time. As born-again believers, as soon as you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. Guys, we're the most blessed of all Christians who've ever lived, but I believe that also makes us the most accountable of all Christians who've ever lived. Can I get an amen to that? We've got a vapor of time to serve him. We need to do it with fear and trembling. So just what does it mean to work out your own salvation? Look what it says. The key to understanding is context. When people call me with Bible questions, most often I can answer the question. I'm reading this verse. I don't understand it. I had a guy from the radio call recently. I heard you on the radio, and I read this verse, and I don't understand it. I said, can you read the next verse? He read the next verse. He goes, oh. Okay, got it. Take a text out of context. I got left the con. Can I get an amen to that? Keep reading. So let's keep reading. What does it mean to work out your salvation? It says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So it's not something we do in our own strength. It's something that God does in us and through us. Amen? So if you read it and you, and you see, oh, work out your own salvation, I have to try harder. I have to do better. I have to pull up my bootstraps and just do a better job. And how many guys have already blown your New Year's resolution? You know, some of you just, I don't even make them anymore because it never happens. Amen? Because you know what? When we do it in our own strength, we fail. But isn't it good to know that God is the one doing the work in us and through us? It's God who does the work. We're just tools in the hands of the master. Amen? I've shared this a few times. Some of you are going to get a... You can hear it again. But years ago, probably 20 years ago, I had the worst toothache of my life, and it was Thanksgiving at my parents' house. And I'll never forget, I, I'm not kidding, I, was, I felt like I was going to die. I ended up needing a root canal. And I was in so much pain. When's the worst day to get, to need a dentist? At Thanksgiving in the city where you don't live. I couldn't even call my dentist. I'm 500 miles from where I live. And I start calling out of the phone book. See, it was a long time ago. Calling out of the phone book. And I'm calling, and finally a dentist answered. And I said, hey. And he said, yeah, I'm, I'm at home. I'm just taking emergency calls. I'll have to charge you double. I'm like, you can have my car. I mean, at this point, I don't care. I'm in so much pain. So I go down there, and as soon as he injected me with the Novocaine, oh, and then he did a root canal, fixed. Now, can you imagine if I took the drill and praised the drill when he was done? Oh, thank you, drill. You're such an amazing drill. I'm so glad you... Guys, that drill means nothing if it's not in the hand of the dentist. Can I get an amen to that? And guys, we're just tools in the hands of the master. And he's the one that gets all the praise and all the glory and all the honor because without him we can do nothing. But we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. See, it's God who does the work in us and through us. We're just a tool in his hand that he uses for his kingdom and for his glory. And what a blessing it is to be in the, a tool in the hand of the master. What a blessing it is to be used by God for his kingdom and for his glory. It's God who works in us both to will and to do for his good pleasure. He's working in us and through us. God's work in us transforms our will to his will. Notice it says to do for his good pleasure, to both do his will. So when we pray, we pray amiss because we're praying demanding our will sometimes, and we're telling God what he needs to do. Compared to God, don't be offended. Compared to God, we're all idiots. Can I get an amen? Compared to God, we know absolutely nothing. So how, how arrogant is it of us to tell God anything? Hey, God, you need to. Really? He spoke the stars into the sky. He said, light is and light was. I don't care how many degrees you have after your name. Again, he's, so much, he's almighty God, all-knowing, all-powerful, omniscient. Amen? And so when we pray, it isn't, hey, God, here's what you need to do. It's, hey, God, tell me what I need to do. Lord, show me your will and help me get in the middle of it. Lord, we don't pray to change God's mind. We pray to change our hearts and conform our will to his. And so here, 
as we're crying out to the Lord, it's to, to do His will and His good pleasure. Now, that sounds great, but what if it's His will for us to suffer so that we can share with others? Oh, I didn't want, well, oh, we already saw that in Philippians chapter 1, that we join in the fellowship of His sufferings. Can I get an amen to that? So if I truly am ready to, to live my life fully for the Lord and surrender completely to Him, if losing my life brings him glory, okay. If suffering for him will bring him glory and opportunity for the gospel, well, praise the Lord. And there's nobody in the Bible that was used mightily that didn't suffer greatly. Amen? So when we complain that we're going through difficulty, we've missed out on the fact that nowhere in the Bible does it say that he promises we'll be comfortable. Exactly the opposite is shown that we are not going to be comfortable. That's why he sends the comforter. Can I get an amen? And if you're comfortable here, you need to get right with the Lord. Amen? You know what? I so love the intimate fellowship with the Lord that I can hear that still small voice throughout the day. You know, when we're walking in intimate fellowship with God, we can hear him whisper. Amen? And when we're walking in our will, doing our own thing, and we're so busy... We don't even hear him yelling. We don't, people say to me, well, God's not speaking to me. No, God is always speaking. We're not listening. Can I get an amen to that? You're as close to God as you want to be. If you're not as close to God as you used to be, who moved? You did. God didn't. Can I get an amen? And here's the reality is God has got a calling on our life and he wants to use us. And every day is an opportunity to be used for the kingdom of God. Divine appointments come our way every single day. And a lot of times we miss them. Because we're so focused on doing our will, we miss out on doing his. And so we want to walk so close to the Lord that if he whispers, I want you to go talk to that person. Hey, you know what? Put someone on your mind. Pick up your phone and call this person. They need to be encouraged. Go share, go share the Lord with this person. I probably make 30 or 40, 40 phone calls a week to God be all the glory. Where God just puts people on my mind. I'll be driving between appointments. I'll just pick up the phone and call them. Lord will put someone on my heart, I'll just call them. And sometimes it's just a conversation, and sometimes it's right on time. But guys, we need to be tools in the hands of the master always. Not just when it's a radical moment, but always. Be available to be used for his kingdom and for his glory. How is it that Paul was able to have joy in jail? Because he knew he was a, a prisoner of Christ, not of Rome. But the Lord had him there for a reason, and he had... He got chained up to divine appointments all day, every day. Amen? It says a whole palace guard knew the gospel. Well, I wonder why. Because somebody got chained up to Paul for six hours. Clink. Let me tell you about Jesus, bro. Where are you going? Captive audience. I love to sit on the aisle on long plane trips, and I pray for the person that's going to be in the middle and in the window. Amen? I got a captive audience for the next 17 hours on the way to India. Amen? We're going to talk about Jesus. Plates, lights pull. Yeah, nowhere to go, bro. Amen? But praying for divine appointments, praying for opportunities to be used for the Lord. And it's God who does the work in us and through us. We don't take any credit if something good happens because we can't do it without Him. And we need to stay in that place where, where we are usable by the Lord. He directs our path. He's conforming us to His will. He's making His desire our desire not according to my fleshly desire, but for his good pleasure. How do you know when God's really speaking to you? Often, you'll know it because what God is instructing you or calling you to do is something you wouldn't want to do on your own. Amen? I planted a church in Santa Cruz, the Tofu Tadai New Age Lesbian Capital United States. It's the last place I wanted to go plant a church. I grew up there. Santa Cruz means Holy Cross. And when my pastor, I went and met with him. I was a youth pastor for 15 years. I said, it's time to go plant a church. He said, oh, there's a group of people in South Carolina. Oh, I'll go. There's San Mateo. I'll go there. He named 15 places. I said, tell me which one. I'll go anywhere you tell me to go. I feel like the Lord's going to have Santa Cruz. Oh, no, 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 no. Can't go there. That place is of the devil. I grew up there. We can't go. No, Ichabod, the glory hath departed. But you know what happens? God stirred my heart. And I wasn't doing it because I wanted to. I was doing it because the Lord wanted me to. And you know what? We went there and we were there for 10 years and God did great and awesome things. 
And there's three, three churches in, in Santa Cruz now. They're all planted out of that church. And God's doing great things. And praise God for that. Amen? But see, a lot of times we're going to know it's the Lord when we wouldn't want to do it on our own. When it's so contrary to what my flesh would want. Your flesh doesn't want to quit your job and go work full-time in ministry. Your flesh doesn't want to go be uncomfortable and go door-to-door and put door hangers on people's doors because you're scared to death to walk up a driveway. Your flesh doesn't want to do, there's things your flesh, your flesh doesn't want to work in children's ministry maybe. Your flesh doesn't want you to openly share your faith with your coworkers or to get out of your comfort zone and be a part of the worship team or whatever it might be. And your flesh doesn't want to do that. Your flesh is afraid. And that's when you know it's the Lord when you step out in faith. God's doing a work in you that he might do a work through you look at verse 14 here comes some conviction for all of us ready do all things without what complaining and disputing that word all there in the original language means all that means christians should never complain never how many of you have complained if your hand's not up, you got a trouble with lying. Have we all complained? I'm studying this all week, and yesterday, I just love how God does stuff. It's so minor. To, I get in line at the grocery store, and the woman at the front of the line who's working at the grocery store, she must have gotten thrown out of the DMV for being too slow. I mean, it was, it was amazing. I was like, I'm being... Is there a camera? Are we being punked right now? It was 25 minutes to get through two people in front of me. And I was just smiling and laughing. Do not complain without, without complaining and disputing. Without complaining and disputing. Christians do all things without complaining and disputing. I, I'm just sitting there and I was like, wow. But Lord, my flesh wants to complain sometimes, doesn't yours? We want to complain. We get impatient. But you know what happened? She was taking forever, and the guy behind me was just shaking his head like I was. So we started talking. And guess what we started talking about? The Lord. And you know what? Praise God that she was slower than the DMV. Can I get an amen? Because it gave an opportunity. See, I could have been complaining and murmuring, and I just looked at the guy and go, well, I guess we're not going anywhere anytime soon. I go, you know, he was wearing a hat. I go, oh, it's your Dodger fan. We start talking, and we start talking about the Lord. So guys, I, I, I fail at this often. But we are not to be complainers. Now, I've shared this with this Thursday night group. I think I've shared it with you guys before. But when I was in eighth grade, just being transparent, in eighth grade, they have a Hall of Fame for the yearbook. And they named the names of the people to get their pictures taken. And I went down there, and I thought I was, I was oh, I'm either going to get most humorous or most athletic. Certainly one of those two. Then they said, okay, biggest complainer, Dave Johnston. <laughs> then I complained about getting voted biggest complainer. And it was me and a girl, and we're sitting there in my eighth grade yearbook, like pointing at each other, and they put your picture in there for everyone to see. You know what? It's the grace of God. This is a work of the Lord. Can I get an Amen. I'm not the biggest complainer anymore, amen? But as Christians, we should not complain. We should not be those who dispute. The Bible says this, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but that which is edifying for the hearer. The scripture tells us that we, the Lord hears us even when we murmur in our tents. Who are the biggest complainers in the history of the Bible? Children of Israel. You know, I'm giving Moses a hug when I get to heaven. That poor brother had three million whiners he had to drag through the wilderness for 40 years. We want to go back to Egypt. We had leeks and onions back there at least. You got delivered out of bondage. What about the beatings back in Egypt? And isn't it amazing when we have a, have a memory about our past that's always not really that accurate? We remember the good stuff and forget the difficult stuff. And Moses, not only that, Moses goes up on the mountain to hang out with the Lord, and his brother, the high priest, makes a golden calf. Moses, I love you, bro. Giving that brother a hug when I get to heaven. Amen? But here's the reality. Murmuring and complaining is fleshly. It's focused on the temporary, not the eternal. 
It's forgetting what the Lord has done for us. If anybody could complain, it would have been the Lord. It would have been the apostles. It would have been Paul. Paul could be complaining in prison. He's not complaining. He's writing a letter filled with joy. You know why? Because the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love and joy and peace and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. When we complain, we're not being Christ-like. We're being like the world. Do all things without complaining. Why? Here's why we shouldn't complain. That you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. That we may be blameless. The word blameless, it says in 1 Timothy, when it speaks of the qualifications for an elder or a pastor, it says that they must be blameless. Now, blameless doesn't mean sinless or nobody would be in ministry. Amen? But what blameless means is without accusation from the outside. And what that means is that when someone looks at you, they don't say, oh, that's the guy who committed adultery. That's the guy with a horrible temper. That's the guy who rips people off. That's the guy who mistreats his wife. That's the guy who's got a drinking problem. That's the guy. It means without accusation from even an unsaved world. That when they look at you, not that you're sinless, but that you live in such a way that you're, an, you're honoring the God that we serve. Again, you're not perfect, but you're blameless. It also says harmless. You become blameless and harmless. The word harmless there means innocent. Children of God are to be without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. The world is so... Is there any complaining going on right now? Hello? Social media, turn on the TV, watch what's going on in our capital right now in, in the nation's capital. Is there, is there just nothing but complaining right now? We're not supposed to be that way. We're in the world, but not of the world. Amen? We minister to the world, but have no fellowship with it. Christians are called to be different. The world is so caught up in complaining and murmuring that the absence of it from their speech and attitudes again, shows that we are followers of the Lord. If you meet someone that doesn't murmur and complain, you think something's different. Because so much of the world, that's all they do. Do we live in a time right now where everybody's a victim? Can I get an amen to that? Oh, it's not my fault. You know, I had too many Twinkies, so I killed 57 people. It's not my fault. It's never my fault. Everybody's a victim. Everything's a disease. You know, I have a guy, that, a co-worker, he says, oh, I have a, I have, I'm, a, I'm a sexual addict. I go, no, bro, you're a pervert, bro. You've got a problem. You need to repent. Well, no, I'm, I'm just a sexual addict. Just stop it. Stop it. Quit making it a disease. It's a disease. It's called sin. Can I get an amen to that? I'm, an, I'm, I'm having an affair. It's not a catered affair. You're committing adultery. Amen. And we make everything a victim. And we make everything someone else's fault. And we don't take responsibility that we're all sinners in desperate need of a Savior. Amen? And we don't need to complain and murmur and play the victim. We need to look to the cross and remember what Christ did and how much he loves us and be humble, broken, and desperate before him and say, Lord, can I please be a tool in your hand? If someone needs a hug, can you use my arms, Lord? If someone needs a word of encouragement, Lord, use my lips. If somebody, if, Lord, if someone needs to be helped financially, use the money that's in my bank account. And we need to get past complaining about ourselves and focusing on the Lord, Jesus, others, and yourself last. Amen? And when we do that, we will have joy. You know what complaining and murmuring is? It's a sign of self-centeredness. Amen? Why do we complain? You're making me wait. Who do you think they are making me wait? Who does this person is think talking to me that way? You know what? We need to think less of ourselves. Self-esteem is not our problem. We esteem ourselves too much. Can I get an amen to that? I'm always on my mind. I tell you this. My three favorite people, sadly, are me, myself, and I often. Can I get an amen? And you know, we need to die to self. It's not about us. It's not about the fact that the lady at the checkout counter is taking forever and making me wait. It's recognizing, why am I waiting? Oh, there's a guy behind me. Let's talk about Jesus. Guys, may we not murmur. May we not complain. May we focus on Jesus. It says they're among whom you shine as lights in the world. You've heard me say it before. They don't take all the lights 
in, you know, in, this val- in the Canal Valley, in the San Fernando Valley, and put them all in one street corner. They take the lights and they spread them all out. Why? Because you'd have one really bright place and a bunch of dark places otherwise. So guess what? When you go to your office, you're the light there. In your neighborhood, you're the light there. When you go to school, you're the light in your classroom. When you go to the grocery store, you're the light of the grocery store. When you show up work tomorrow, the Holy Spirit just entered the building. Can I get an amen? And so wherever we are, we're called to be salt and light. Not those who murmur and complain, but those who shine brightly in the midst of a lost and a dying world. And I want to tell you something. When you think people aren't watching, I guarantee you they are. And even though they may mock you when you stand for the Lord and you talk about your faith, There will come a time when they're desperate and they'll need someone to pray for them and those same people will show up at your doorstep or at your cubicle or at your office or at your desk at school and ask you to pray for them. I've seen it so many times in my life I can't even count them. Because you know what? When people are desperate, who knows the Lord? Who knows God? Who do I know that prays? Who do I know that has faith? And if they mock our faith, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you for my name's sake, for so they did the prophets who went before you. Guys, if we're not getting mocked every once in a while, we're not living out loud enough for Jesus. Amen? Amen? There you go. Someone's paying attention. The Philippians are lights of the world, and you and I are lights to a lost and a dying world. And here's the question, how brightly are we shining for the Lord right now? Are we hiding our light under a bushel? This is a light of mine, right? I'm going to let it hide it under a bush. Oh no! I'm going to let it shine, amen? Sunday school songs are amazing. Jesus loves me, this I know for, the Bible tells me so. Best song ever written. Can I get an amen to that? And the reality is, the simplicity of you know, Satan wants you to hide your light under a bushel. Satan wants you just to be the Christian on cruise control. You've got, he- you've got heaven, but you're not doing anything for the kingdom of God. You're sitting on the sidelines. You're keeping your faith to yourself. And you know what? Again, I don't want to have a saved soul and a wasted life. We're called to shine brightly. You know where the, where the light shines brightest? The darkest places around. A lot of you are thinking about leaving California People have been leaving in droves. I've talked to some of you. You've been out looking in Idaho and anybody but here, and I get it. I do. But guess what? We're called to be salt and light here. Can I get an amen to that? Does California need Jesus? Yes, Lord. And so we're here for a reason. I, I, yeah, I, I look, I love the heat. When it's 105, I feel good. I like it. My wife, my wife says I'm a lizard, and I am. I love the heat. So I wouldn't mind having a $125,000 house in, in Phoenix, Arizona. You know, Calvary Chapel of the Sun would be good for me. I'm good with it. But that's not where God wants us. We need people here to represent Jesus in a very dark state. Can I get an amen? Calabasas needs Jesus. Agora Hills, Woodland Hills, the Canal Valley, the San Fernando Valley. God's put us here for a reason. For such a time as this, we get to be here. Look how we pray for the Jewish people and God opens up a synagogue for us to meet in. What a great and awesome God we serve. Amen? And let's, let's be about it for his kingdom. Let's be unashamed of the gospel. Let's shine brightly for him. Then notice what he says here. By the way, we're not going to finish the chapter. Don't panic. Some of you are already going, he's not going to make it. He's not going to make it. It's not going to happen. It's okay. We teach verse by verse. We'll just stop when we're done and we'll finish next week. But here's what it says. That you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine light, shine as lights in the world. Now watch what it says. Holding fast the what? The word of life. How do you and I have joy and shine brightly in the midst of a perverse and crooked generation, here's how we hold on to this. We open it, we read it, and we obey it. Can I get an amen to that? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by word of God. Guys, if, your faith, if you want your faith to grow, open up God's word. Spend time in it. I know it's hard to open the Bible sometimes. I used to equate it to working out in the gym. You know, getting to the gym is hard, especially after a 12-hour day. The Barca lounger and a bag of chips looks pretty good at the end of the day. But getting to the gym, once you get there, you're glad you went. You know what? I've never opened up the Bible and been disappointed. Can I get an amen? 
When you open up the Word of God, this is the only book ever written where the author loves the reader. Amen? This is the only book ever written where the author loves the reader. It's the only book ever written that is living and breathing and sharper than a two-edged sword. It's the only book that you don't just read it. It reads your heart. And it transforms you. This is a love letter from Almighty God dropped into your lap. How in the world can we not? By the way, we still have through the Bible in the year on the back table. Guys, you should be able to read through the Bible in the year. Can I get an amen? It's going to take you 25 minutes a day, and you'll read through the entire Bible in a year. Let's do something that will impact our lives for an eternity. Can I get an amen? So he says, how do you do this? In the midst of a perverse and crooked generation, in the midst of all the turmoil going around us, in the midst of all the godlessness in the places where we live, how do we have joy? How do we have direction? How can we shine brightly? By spending time in the word of God. Amen? Hold fast to the word of life. Holding fast to the truth of God's word. Knowing that we will rejoice at the returning of Christ. Sadly, so much of the church today knows little of God's word. I've had people visit churches I've pastored and churches I've attended, and they'll say, I, t- I learned more of the Bible today than I've learned in five years. Because there's too many churches today teaching books about the Bible instead of books in the Bible. Too many seven steps to financial freedom and three ways to overcome your anger and Beaver doesn't live here anymore, this series. Guys, we don't need to teach, you know, the nonsense and the psychology of men. We need to teach the Word of God, all of it, because nothing less than a whole Bible makes a whole Christian. And we need to teach it with boldness and do it in love and do not apologize for God's Word. Can I get an amen to that? This is the authority, not what the world thinks. I'm never going to be politically correct. I only want to be biblically accurate. I want to live in such a way that the word of God is seen in us. You know, I have a six-word philosophy of ministry. If you're new to our church, it's preach the word, love the people. And my promise to you, as I'm called here to serve you and to love you, is I promise that I will love you unconditionally. I will be available to you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I will pray for you fervently, and I will teach you the whole counsel of God, and I will never water down the truth just to make you feel good. I love you enough to preach it to you with boldness. And that's what God's called us to do. People visit our church and they, they leave. They go, man, that's, you like, act like Jesus is all that matters. He is. Amen? Too many of the churches, they know little of God's word. If they don't know God's word, they don't have faith. If they don't know God's word, they lack wisdom. If they don't know God's word, they lack understanding and God's direction for their lives. If they don't know God's word, they lack intimate fellowship. Again, when you read the Bible, you get to know God more. And to get to know him, when you get to know him more, is to love him more. And so the way we have intimate fellowship with the Lord is the same way I have intimate fellowship with my wife. If I don't ever talk to my wife and I don't let her talk to me, our marriage is going to fail. And we're married to Jesus. We're the bride of Christ. And if we don't spend time talking to him through prayer and we don't let him talk to us through his word, it's going to be a relationship that fails. Guys, we need to be on our knees in his presence and spending time in his Word. It says there at the end of that verse, holding fast to the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Paul had the heart of a shepherd and he was burdened not by his own imprisonment but out of concern for the eternal future of the sheep in Philippi. The word spoken to them was not spoken in vain but it was fruitful. You know, I love Paul's heart here because he is saying what I've done was not done in vain. I have not labored in vain. So much of what we labor in is in vain. So much of the things we spend our time doing, now, we should do our jobs as unto the Lord. We should be the best workers in the building. Work is good for us. Can I get an amen? The Bible says you will toil by the sweat of your brow all the days of your life. So we should be the best workers in the building. And even if we're working at something that might be mundane in our minds, we're doing it as unto the Lord. We want to be a blessings to our boss. But so much of what we spend our time on is perishing and it's stuff that has no eternal value. And it's okay to have fun. It's okay to hang out with your family and play board games or go to the beach or whatever. Those things are fine. It's all hanging with the family. But there's some things that we invest our time in that are of no value. 
And again, if I'm going to invest some of my time in things that are of no value, I better be investing a lot of my time in things that are of value. Can I get an amen to that? To make his kingdom and his glory the priority. Well, we're going to get to point number two at least. So first, impact of intimate fellowship with God, it impacts how we reflect Jesus to the world. Number two, it impacts how uh, the way we see death. Look at verse 17 and 18. Yes, if I am being poured out as a drink offering of, on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Paul's sitting in prison, and this is the first time that he really makes any kind of a reference to the fact that he could die. Poured out as a drink offering. Wine poured out around or on the foot of the altar as they were sacrificing animals upon the altar. They'd be burning an, an animal or they'd cut the animal up, shed its blood, and they'd be sacrificing it. And they would pour wine out on the altar. And the wine is a representation of the shed blood of our Savior. Amen? And what he's saying is, if I must be poured out, if I must be made a sacrifice for the kingdom of God, if I must be made a sacrifice so that you may hear the gospel, he says there in the end of that verse, I am glad and rejoice with you all. How many of you could say that? If I was going to be put to death so you could hear the gospel, I am glad. He says, if I am being poured out in the presence, not the future, he knows again that threat that's on his life, and Paul is not afraid of dying. My, my life's verse is Philippians 1.21, which says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It means that Christ is my life. It doesn't mean he's first in my life or he's, or he's you know, first out of 10. He is number one, number 10, number 100, and every number in between, Jesus is my life. And he said, and you know what? If Jesus is your life, then you can say the rest of the verse. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. See, if Christ is not your life, dying may not be gain. Dying may be eternal torment and separation from God. Amen? But if your life is Christ, dying is better. Heaven is better. Now, why does Paul have such boldness? Well, you've heard me say this many times, but I believe when he was in Lystra and he was stoned to death, I believe he died. And Paul later would say, I know of a man who was caught up into the third heaven and was able to get a glimpse of heaven. And I believe that's what happened to Paul while he was in Lystra. And here's why I believe it. Because when he got back in his body, when he rose from the dead, what did he do? He went right back into the city and started preaching the gospel again, saying, you cannot threaten me with heaven. I've been there and it's better. Can I get an amen to that? Matter of fact, I won't even move. I'll stand still. I'm good. Heaven's better. Guys, if we have the joy of knowing that heaven is better, that we have the promise of eternal life. We will not walk in fear. And we all hold on to this life more tightly than I think we ought to. Now, we don't take our lives. God does. I also don't believe that anybody dies too early. We all die right on time. Can I get an amen to that? Because you know what? I had a 30-year-old worship leader in my youth group. He was in our, in our youth group in his, in his, when he was 17 years old. We had, when I took over the youth group in, in San Jose, they had a guy doing a rock concert for worship, and it was pathetic. I'm just being honest with you. He brought in all this. He was wearing glitter stuff, and he's like, I'm like, yeah, that, we're not doing that. It's not about you, bro. We're shutting that down. Two songs in. Oh, we're good. Go sit down. And, you know, I, I went in, and he got mad and told the pastor, and he's like, well. And so I had a guy get up who knew how to play three songs. And he could sit on a stool and he had brain tumors, so sometimes he would get seizures. And when he played, he played real slow. But he loved Jesus. And it was all about Jesus. And God gifted him more and more as years went by. And then I got called, I moved to Santa Cruz, and I got a call, and his wife said, he's on his deathbed, he wants to see you. And I go see Daniel. And I thought I was going to minister to him, and he was ministering to me. He's like, Pastor Dave, I just wanted to pray for you before I go to heaven. You pray for me. I'm praying for him. And then when, we were, when I was getting ready to leave, he grabbed my shirt and he pulled me close. And he said, Pastor Dave, I want you to do my funeral and I want you to preach Jesus with more boldness than you ever have in your life because a lot of people I love don't know him. Can you do that for me? And I guarantee you, when Daniel closed his eyes on earth and opened him up in glory, he wasn't bummed that he didn't get to stay here a little while longer. Can I get an amen to that? 
Now, we want to be good stewards of the time that we have, but we need to have an eternal perspective. See, Christians die well. Because ultimately we don't die. We close our eyes on earth and we open them up in glory. Amen? And it's a time for us to rejoice. I tell my wife all the time, if I die, just put me in a hefty bag, leave me on a curb. I'm in heaven. Don't worry about it. Don't spend a bunch of money. It doesn't matter. Can I get an amen to that? And we live in a time right now, we hold on to life like, you know, like, and we, you know, we try to make ourselves look like we're not as old as we are. Get over it. Not fooling anybody. Amen? And the reality is, because we think this is all the life that matters. Guys, the one that's coming is the one that matters. We only have a vapor of time to serve the Lord. Amen? Paul's saying, look, if I'm going to die, it's okay. If I have to be poured out, heaven's better. I have joy in the midst of it. I'm not murmuring. I'm not complaining. I'm praising God. He would later say, for I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. See, Paul knew his home was not, that his home was in heaven. And if I die, if Caesar takes my life, rejoice with me. Again, Christians die well. There's nothing to be feared. Now, I heard this illustration some time back for you animal lovers. An African impala can leap 10 feet when running full speed, but when you go to the zoo, impalas are kept in areas with fences only four feet tall. That should concern us. You know why they can have a fence only four feet tall? Because an impala will not jump unless it knows how it's going to land. So it won't jump over a four-foot fence of fear that on the other side of that fence maybe there's a cliff, so they won't jump over a four-foot fence. Guys, you and I, we ought to know where we're going to land. Can I get an amen? And we should not be fearful to step out in faith for the Lord because we know where we're going to land is heaven. Can I get an amen? We ought to be able to get outside of that comfort zone and step outside of it and recognize the worst thing the world could do to me is the best thing that could happen to me. God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Here, Paul's jumping at an opportunity to go to heaven, and again, because he knew where he would land. Let's finish verse 18 and we'll close. For the same reason, he says in verse 18, you be glad and rejoice with me. Paul's telling the Philippian believers not to feel bad for him that he's in prison. He tells them to rejoice with me while I sit here in prison facing the fact that I might die. As Christians, we grieve, but not as those without hope. And both the privilege of suffering for Christ and his graduation that was going to come sooner or later into the hands of Almighty God. We too should view uh, death from an eternal perspective. Though we may miss people, be glad and rejoice with them. My dad's in heaven. My mom's on hospice right now. She'll be there soon. And you know what? I'm rejoicing with them. I miss them. I miss my dad. I drive all the way to Santa Cruz. My mom doesn't even know it's me when I go see her. And they say, why do you come? She doesn't know it's you. I said, because I know who she is. She may not know who I am, but I know who she is. And she's my mom. And I, I will go up there if I can just love on her and hug her. She can't speak anymore. And you know what? Praise God for her. She prayed for me. She taught a Good News Bible Club in our garage. She led people to Christ. But I'm looking forward to her going to heaven. She's been suffering for a long time. Heaven's better. Can I get an amen? Heaven's better. The Bible says that death has been swallowed up in victory on the cross of Calvary. It says in 1 Corinthians, O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? Jesus has triumphed over sin, death, and the grave, and so have you and I if we are linked with him, if you have a relationship with the Lord. So the impact of, of intimate fellowship with God, number one, it impacts how we reflect Jesus to the world around us. People, you're the only Jesus some people will ever see. Christian means little Christ or follower of Christ. And they mock Christians because a lot of Christians don't represent him well. Our prayer should be, may I represent the Lord well today. Amen? Lord, help me to represent you well today. Help me to represent your love today. Help me to represent your grace and your mercy and your kindness today. But also help me to represent your, the truth today. Amen? But also to help us to reflect the Lord to a, wor a world that desperately needs him, but it impacts the way we see death. For me to live as Christ and to die is gain. Heaven's way better. 
Let's be willing to jump a little bit and get out of our comfort zone because, guys, we know we're going to land. We're going to land in heaven, and here's what we're going to hear. If you've given your life to the Lord, if you're born again, if you're serving him, here's what you're going to hear. Here it is, the best 401k ever. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That should be the focus and the passion of our lives. Amen? Lord, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. You are indeed a great and awesome God. And Lord, we so desperately want to be tools in the hands of our master. Lord, fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Help us to hunger and thirst for your word. Help us to be unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for everyone here this morning, many going through great difficulty, health issues, difficulties at work, difficulties in their marriage, with their children. Uh, Lord, people struggling with cancer, children that are in prison, children that are struggling with drug addiction. Lord, our hearts break. But at the same time, Lord, we're thankful that you're faithful and you're in control. And Lord, may we never put ourselves on the sideline because we're suffering. Lord, may you use even our suffering for your kingdom and for your glory. Lord, we're thankful that we don't go through anything alone, that you're a faithful God. Lord, I pray for anybody here that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. If you're here today and you've never given your life to the Lord, the Bible says you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. It's not about a religion or joining a church, it's about desiring an intimate relationship with the God who created you. It's not knowing about God, but knowing God, walking with the Lord. That's your desire this morning. I want to give you an opportunity just to openly confess him before men by just raising your hand and saying, you know what? I want to know for sure that I'm going to heaven. I know that I'm a sinner and I want Jesus Christ to be my best friend. I want to invite him into my life to be on the throne of my life. If that's your desire this morning, just raise your hand right where you are, anybody at all. Today, let today be the day of salvation. Don't leave here without the Lord. He loves you so much, you'd rather die than live without you. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We're so thankful that you died for us, that your spirit lives in us, that our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and soon and very soon we're going to see the King. Be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, let's stand up. Is he worthy to be worshipped?